Father, Lord, we are coming to you, giving you full acknowledgement that you, Lord, it is your name that has power. Lord, it is your name that there is hope, that it is your name where we can come for refuge. And I'm praying right now at this very moment, Lord, your presence would enter this place, fill every heart, fill every place. Lord, I pray for the ones who are here and they're just scoping things out, trying to figure out uh, what to do next. Lord, I pray that you would let them feel at home. Lord, I pray right now that you would hide me, Lord, an imperfect vessel. Hide me behind the cross, and Lord, that somehow you could use such a worm as I. Lord, I love you so much, and I thank you so much for this opportunity. And I pray these things in your name. Amen, amen. Y'all can go ahead and, and be seated. Now, uh, I'm going to give everyone the same apology, I guess, as the uh, first service. Um, I'm not Pastor Malcolm. Uh, so if you haven't figured that out yet, uh, this, is, um, this is unique. Uh, this is, this is a, my second opportunity to be on Sunday morning platform. And so I want to make an apology because you are probably really pumped. You probably have been bragging to your friends and saying, you've got to come here. We've got a dynamic preacher. He's amazing. He will he'll change everything. You'll, you thought church is boring. Come here, my pastor. And then you show up and you're like, who is that guy? Um, and so I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if this is a letdown. But, but hang in there. H- hang in there. Um, because, again, it's my second time ever being on this platform. I'm still a bit of a loose cannon. There's no telling what I may say. Um, so if nothing else, it'll be entertaining. Uh, uh, but here, here's the thing, really. Truly, I want you to do something for me. Uh, first of all, you probably wonder why Pastor Malcolm is not here. And uh, last week was a, a powerful message. Had lots and lots of people come to know Jesus. And, and that's something that, man, we should still continue to give God praise for and glory for. That is just amazing, amazing thing that happened last week. Um, but I was at Fairview, and here's what happened at Fairview. They didn't hear any of it. Not a word, because the live stream uh, went down twice for both services. It went down for first service and second service, so they didn't get to hear the message at all. Um, but Buchanan was out there, and he uh, was really, really on top of things. He preached a dynamic message. It was great. Uh, it, it was powerful, and I'm, so I'm thankful that Buchanan was in charge and, and was able to get everything under control. Uh, but Pastor Malcolm thought, you know, this is such an important message for people to hear. I want to go preach it at Fairview. And so that's where he's at this morning as he is in Fairview. Um, and so he asked me if I would come and preach this morning. I said, sure, why not? Uh, but here's what I want you to do. Number one, you're already here, all right? There's no sense in, like, getting your Bible. I'm getting out of here. All right, don't do that because, listen, your, your neighbor doesn't saw you leave. Your friends have seen your car in the parking lot. Everybody knows you're here. All right, no sense. You're already here. You, may, you got dressed. All right, that's half the battle is getting your family dressed in here. Might as well enjoy it, right? Um, secondly, this is what I want you to understand is even if you leave now, you'll never make it to Fairview. All right, so uh, <laughs> you, just, you just buckle up, buttercup. Uh, and we want to stay right here. Uh, and also uh, something else is this. Uh, uh, I just want you to know I love you. And this is such a privilege to be on this platform, to have this opportunity. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Andrew Heptonstall. I'm actually the student pastor here. And so if you're a middle school, high school, or college age student, uh, where you been? Uh, we're on Wednesday nights down here at 630. want you to be there. want to see you plugged in. Uh, this is what we're going to do this morning. Open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 14. That's where we're going to be, Matthew chapter 14. 
And this is a very, very familiar text. If you've never been in church ever in your life, and you're here this morning, first of all, I'm glad you're here. But, but secondly, uh, even if you've never been in church, you've probably heard this story. Because it's about Jesus walking on the water. That's a very, very prominent, very, very, very uh, 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 popular text. And we see Jesus walking on the water. We see Peter walking on the water. And, and you've heard it many, many times. And maybe today I can bring some new insight, something you've never seen before. Maybe something that's going to impact you. And so really, uh, the message of the, uh, today is the wetness of worship, or, or I may have titled it something else. I've went back and forth on different topics and stuff. But we're the worship while you're wet. That's it. You're thinking, well, that doesn't make sense. Hold on. Hold on. We'll get there. Uh, worship while you're wet. But we're going to look at the storms of life. And I know it's pretty generic. And I know that's a topic that a lot of people have preached on. You're thinking, Andrew, you're taking a cop out. That's an easy target to hit. And it is. Because everybody in this room, 100% of the people in this room, understand storms of life. Because, uh, and it's a cliche, but it's so true, you're either in a storm, you're either coming out of a storm, or you're about to go into a storm. And so everybody in this room is familiar with what a storm is like in your life. And, and so what I want to do today is I want to bring you some encouragement. I want to challenge you, and I hope, to, hope in a way God will come and change you. And that, that's my, my challenge and my hope for today. So Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. It says, and straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples. All right, this is what I'm going to do. As I'm reading, I'm going to tell you to underline, circle, highlight, whatever. If you do that in your Bible, I'm going to give you certain words to highlight because these are important. And straightway, Jesus constrained, circle, underline that word. That means compelled or he forced his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the, other tudes, uh, uh, the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. He went by himself to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea. Underline, circle that word. Uh, Simply, they're in the middle of the sea, the Sea of Galilee, tossed with waves. For the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, it is a ghost, they cried out, for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, it was violent. When the wind was violent, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased, and then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, underline, worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. So every, every good story uh, has a beginning, has a middle, and a, and thank you, uh, I don't know, uh, and an end. All right, beginning, a middle, and an end. Now, this is why this is important, because we're going to look at the beginning of the story, and, and this is kind of my first point, if you will, the will of God. The will of God. Uh, if you look previously, just a few verses before this moment, the disciples have been, have been ministering with Jesus. They've been, uh, a pro, they've been in the productivity of his miracle. They've been distributing items to over 5,000 people. It says that over 5,000 people were, were fed 
from a little boy's sack lunch of fish sticks and rolls. His mama just sends him some fish and some bread, and Jesus blesses it and begins to distribute it, and the disciples are there distributing the miracle to over 5,000 people. This is huge. I, I firmly believe that the disciples were in the will of God. I believe God was using them in incredible, incredible ways. And, and here we are. Now they're coming off of this moment of ministering to people, to, to being a part of God's will, to being part of the distribution plan of God's miracle. And now they come to a boat. And what, is, what does it say that Jesus said to them? He, he constrained them. He compelled them. He made them get into a boat. And they're headed right for a storm. They were in the perfect will of God, yet God put them in a boat headed for a storm. And, and here's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Because we have this false idea of what a storm is about. We, we feel that if we're somehow being challenged in life, if we have some kind of difficulty, if we're going through some kind of trial or storm, we feel somehow that God is angry at us. We feel like somehow that we must be out of the will of God, that we must have some kind of unconfessed, unconfessed sin in our life that we haven't dealt with, and therefore God's judgment is this storm. But I want to challenge you with this. You can be in the absolute perfect will of God and still be in a storm. It may be that the absolute perfect will for, of God for you in this moment is that you be in that storm. And it doesn't make sense at times. It's confusing. But I want you to understand that you can be in the perfect will of God and still be in a storm. God doesn't hate you. Your difficulties aren't a symptom of his, pain, his hate towards you. Because here's what I understand about, about my faith. Is, is, is if I stay in the shallows all of my life, then I will never know the depth of his mercy. If I always stay on the beach uh, and never get out into the water, then I will never know the master of the sea. And so there's times where you'll go through a storm, not because he doesn't like you, but because he wants you to know more of him. Because he wants your depth, your, your faith to be deepened. He wants your, 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 your dependence on, on him to be strengthened. Sometimes storms have a purpose, and the purpose is to show you more of who he is. So here's the thing. If you're in a storm right now, it's not because you're, in, you're not in God's will. It has nothing to do about that. In fact, sometimes storms aren't even for you. And, and you might be thinking, well, what are you talking about? And, and, and Jeff Robertson's going to love this because he hasn't got to preach this yet. He's, he's trying to steal it from me, but I'm not letting him. I'm going to go ahead and use it now. <laughs> There's two very powerful words in the English language. Very powerful words. And you can write these down because they're great. Get your pencil ready. Here's what it is. Me, too. Me, too. T-O-O, -T by the way. Don't put T, that's, okay, I'm a grammar Nazi in a way. T-O-O, -O, me too. Uh, and this is what this means. There's going to be times in your life where you simply being able to relate with someone else's struggle is going to allow you to minister them to in a way that I could never minister to them. In other words, let me, let me give you a little background, okay? When me and Tracy were dating, she came to me one day. I don't know how long we were in our relationship for at this point. We dated three and a half years. Um, so at some point in our, in our new relationship, in the front end of it, she told me, I feel called to be a pastor's wife. And so I looked at her. I said, we need to break up. 
said, um, I am wasting your time because I'm not going into ministry. I, I, didn't, I didn't have a, a, any kind of inclination for that direction in life. But growing up, I, I, I didn't have the worst of childhoods, but I can't say I had the best either. Uh, you know, I have the typical story a lot of people have where uh, my parents divorced at a young age. I was about three years old when they divorced. I don't remember much about the initial divorce, but there were some things that happened later on that I, I remember. I made a lot of bad decisions, especially in high school, bad life choices, just, just impulsive, dumb things. I think a lot of us can relate to that. And so I, I, I kind of came, and I had a little bit of a jaded past, and I was a little bit angry at things and, and some of the situations I was put in, and I didn't understand it at all at the time. I, I didn't understand why God allowed certain things to happen in my life. But then at the age of 17 on a Wednesday night at World Changers in Dothan, Alabama, God clearly spoke into my life, Andrew, you're going into youth ministry. And it was a call I couldn't shake. It was a call I couldn't deny. It, it, it changed me. It changed me from the inside out. I ran down to the front of the, of the church we were meeting in, and I found my youth pastor, which was Tracy's dad. And, and I went and found him, and my dad happened to be there at the same time. And I, I told him, I said, I'm, I, God just called me into youth ministry. And they were not nearly as excited as I was. Uh, and so I'm like, okay. And so later on, actually here recently, I talked to my father-in-law. I call him Brother Steve. I always have. I said, Brother Steve, I said, remember that night I, I told you I got called to ministry? He says, yes. So why weren't you that excited? He says, I didn't know it was going to stick. Uh, I mean, I was, I was that kind of kid. I was, uh, they didn't know. They didn't see that, that hope and future in me. And it had all this baggage. But then now I get to work with teenagers. And when they come up to me and they say, Brother Andrew, I... My parents are getting divorced, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I can look at them and say, hey, listen, it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. God's got this. Well, how do you know? Me too. Hey, Brother Andrew, I've made some bad decisions in life, and I've done a lot of bad things, and I don't think God could ever forgive me for what I have done. And I can say, hey, God's grace is sufficient for you. Well, how do you know? Me too. There's power in the phrase, me too. And so there's going to be storms in your life where maybe you have a loved one, a spouse that has been diagnosed with cancer, and you're watching them fade away right before your eyes, and and you see them pass. And then you come in contact with somebody years later, and they're going through the same situation, and they're broken, and they're coming apart, and they don't have the faith that you have, and they're coming apart at the seams, and you buddy up next to them, and you say, listen, it's going to be okay. Well, how do you know? Because me too. But let me tell you how how I got through this, I want you to introduce you to my, my Savior, Jesus. This is the rock that kept me steady during this storm. So there's going to be times in your storms of life that maybe these storms have nothing to do about you, but maybe they're giving you the tools necessary to minister to someone else down the road. And so we need to stop questioning the storm. Matter of fact, when we're in the storm, this is, what, this is our, our posture. This is what we should be doing in the middle of our storms. God, I don't understand it. I'm in pain, and I'm confused, and I don't have all the answers at this moment, but God, how do you want to use this? How do you want to use this? What do you want to do? God, help me understand how you want to use this in my life. Because sometimes it's God's will for you to be in that storm. He might be the one that pushed the boat off the shore. So we see the will of God. We see the will of God. And it, sometimes the storms will help us enable, enable us to minister to other people. 
And then we get to the middle of the story, and we're introduced. They're, they're in the middle of the sea, and, and they, they, are, they have another character introduced, and that's the, sto- the wind, the wind of the storm. In verse 24, we can continue reading in Matthew chapter 14, verse 24. It says, but the ship was now in where? The midst of the sea. It was the middle of it with waves, for the, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cra- cried out for fear. Now, I want to do some calculations, if you'll let me. Uh, the fourth watch, the fourth watch of the night is between 3 and 6 a.m., between 3 and 6 a.m. This is a pretty helpless, hopeless hour of day. If you break down on the road at 3 o'clock in the morning, it ain't going to be good. All right, you're not going to have help coming your way anytime soon. If you're fishing on a lake and your motor cuts out on you at 3 o'clock in the morning, I ain't coming to get you. <laughs> Just keep fishing. <laughs> I'll see you. see you when the sun comes up. All right, um, so three, three, between 3 and 6 is kind of a helpless, hopeless hour. And this is when the disciples see Jesus coming to them at this helpless, hopeless hour, the fourth watch. I love this. Because I think Jesus, see, this is what I've learned. In 18 years of being saved, 11 years of ministry, this is what I've understood about Jesus. Is that my Savior is all about timing and not always about time. That we want him to show up now. We, we, want, we want deliverance now. But there's going to be times where he's going to wait and have the perfect moment to show up in your life. Amen. And I see this happening right now before our eyes with the disciples. Here they are crying out for God, wanting deliverance, wanting help. And he shows up at the most helpless, hopeless time of night. Because he's trying to show them, hey, when everybody else can't help you, I'll be the one coming on the water to come to you. When there's no other chance for rescue, I'll be your rescuer. When all help and hope is gone, I'll be your hope. This is powerful, guys. So here's the disciples. They're on the water. This, this, this Sea of Galilee where they're crossing is about eight miles. It should have taken them about four hours to cross from, sea, from shore to shore, about four hours to make this travel. And now it says they're in the midst of the sea. I'm just guesstimating, okay? Listen, there's no commentary out there that's going to tell me this. I'm just... This is guesstimations, okay? If it's not right, you know, don't tell me. Just keep it to yourself. Um, no, just kidding. Uh, so here we are. I believe it's 7 o'clock at night when they're getting in this boat because they've been ministering to people all day long. They've been feeding over 5,000 people, helping and, and being part of God's miraculous plan of, of feeding all these people. And now here they are in a boat, and I think it's about 7 o'clock at night when they get pushed off to shore, and it says it's the third wa- or fourth watch of the day, so between 3 and 6 o'clock. And where are they? They're in the middle. They've been in this boat for about seven hours, and they've only got halfway across. I believe they are exhausted. I believe they're a little tired by now. And, and I don't know about you, but how many of you have ever been in a storm of life and it just physically wear you out? I believe these disciples are physically exhausted. I believe that they are, their prayers are becoming exhausted. They've been praying and praying and praying and no hope has come yet. And there's been times in my life in my storms where I've prayed and prayed and prayed and I didn't see any difference being made and my prayers began to become exhausted. 
And I believe that they are here with their expectations becoming exhausted. Hey, surely if God was listening, he would have showed up by now. But he hasn't showed up yet. We've been in this storm for over seven hours battling it. And we've gotten nowhere. And he has not shown up. And he's just right over there. Why hasn't Jesus showed up yet? And I believe their expectations became exhausted. And I don't know about you, but there's been times in my storms where my expectations have become exhausted. Their faith became exhausted. Jesus comes walking on the water, and they don't even believe it's Jesus. They think it's a ghost. They don't even have faith enough to believe that Jesus could be walking out to them to save them. They're like, that's a ghost. Their faith has become exhausted. Storms have a tendency to do that to us, to wear us out to exhaust us. But here comes Jesus. I I want you to see something. In this boat, at this moment, were 12 called men by God. These were the men that God had set apart, that he hand-selected. Jesus is walking through the towns, and he's like, I'll take you, I'll take you, I'll take you. And he gathers 12 men to follow him to be his disciples, hand-selected men of God. And they're in this boat together. And guess what? They couldn't help each other. There was no, they couldn't do anything. They were in the same boat. They had no ability to help each other. And so what I want you to understand here is this, is that even when you're in a storm, there's going to be times where even the most godly of Christians that you know cannot help you. There's going to be times in your life where your best friend is not going to be able to help you. There's going to be times where your mama or your daddy is not going to be able to help you. There's going to be times where the government is not going to be able to help you. You're going to be in a difficult situation, and the only one that can show up and help you is the one who comes when all other options are exhausted. And here comes Jesus strutting across the water and said, hey, I've been the one you've been looking for. Here I am. And this is the beautiful thing about Jesus is he shows up when all the other resources are exhausted. And this is the problem with most Christians, most believers today, is that when we get into a difficult time, we run to everything else but him. And he waits for all other resources to be exhausted, for all other avenues to be ran into a dead end. And then here he comes and he says, I've been the one the whole time and you never asked for me. I want to challenge you that in your storm, to follow and focus on him. So the wind, the wind was contrary. We see this in scripture. The wind was opposite. It was opposing them. Now, why why is that a big deal? (laughs) They're in a storm, and there's something opposing them that they have no control over. In your storms of life, there's going to be things happening to you that you have no control over. You have no control over what people say about you. You have no control about what people think about you. You have no control about what happens. You know, hey, the, the, the car breaks down. You don't have control over that. You don't have control over your, your health at times. Sometimes things just happen, and this makes the storm even worse. But I want to encourage you that even in those moments, it hasn't taken God by surprise that he can deliver you even in the most difficult of storms when everything around you is opposing you, when everything around you is coming against you, he can stand firm in the middle of a storm and say, peace be still. So we see this happening to disciples. They're in the middle of the sea. They've been rowing for hours. They're not getting anywhere. And all of a sudden, they are just tired. Listen, being in the will of God is not easy. I, I hope you understand that. If you've never been sold a bill, a bill of goods that, hey, becoming a Christian is going to make everything better. 
Just put your trust in Jesus. Everything will work out. Listen, there's still going to be hard times. As a matter of fact, sometimes the most hard times you'll come across is being in the will of God. Sometimes being in the will of God will be, will be making the hardest decisions you'll ever have to make because sometimes the easy decision is doing what God doesn't want you to do. The hard decision is doing what God wants you to do. And you're going to have to make the decision, am I going to follow God or am I going to follow the world? And I want to tell you right now, I'm going to be blunt and honest with you, being in the will of God is not easy. Do you think the disciples think that this is easy? at this moment but it's the will of God it is the absolute will of God I love fishing I love it I came from Panama City Florida fishing's a little different there than it is here um, I, I, I love going offshore fishing uh, I, I love just being in the water uh, I, I've caught fish over 100 pounds and 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 you know I'm not bashing fishing here I just haven't gotten the groove yet I got a kayak for Christmas. I'm looking forward to using it. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting it. It still has the tags on it right now. So I haven't even tried to use it, but I'm looking forward to using my boat. But I love fishing. And I have a friend that I used to fish with all the time in Panama City. His name was Dave. Dave Daly. Good friend of mine. We went to college together. We carpooled together. And uh, we fished all the time. And I used to call him Danger Dave. Because the weirdest things would happen when I'm fishing with Dave. I'm talking weirdest things. Uh, and, and the one time I actually caught a fish over 100 pounds was with Dave, and I was wade fishing, and I caught a 120-pound tarpon. And I was, I was amazed, like, whoa, this is awesome. That kind of stuff happened with Dave. One time we were fishing at Tyndall Air Force Base. We were wade fishing. That means you're fishing about belly button deep, and, and, and the waves are kind of rocky. And so I, I have my feet about this far apart because I'm trying to brace myself for the waves. And as I'm fishing something hits the back of my legs, both legs at the same time. It almost knocks me down. Terrifies me. There's some, I don't know if you've ever been in the water and something touched your leg, and you're like, wait till something almost knocks you down. All right? And so I'm, I'm, I'm becoming Peter at that moment and walking on the water to Dave. I'm trying to get out of that place, and, and I'm trying to figure out what is happening. And I, turn, I get over to Dave, and Dave's all the way to the other side. I'm sorry, camera guys. I'm running all over the place. I'm sorry. I, I run over to Dave, and I grab him. And he's like, what is wrong with you? I said, something just hit me over there. And we look over, and the water is swirling with something in the water. And he's like, oh, that's just a swirl fish. And I said, okay, swirl fish don't exist in nature. That's not a thing. That is, that is nothing. That swirl fish is not a species. But what he's doing, he's trying to calm my nerves. He's trying to tell me, hey, don't worry, this is a swirl fish. They do that. I'm like, okay, Dave. It was probably a shark, all right? And, and he's just trying to keep me from wigging out so much. But this one day we go fishing, and Dave was very excited because we were going to go on a tournament. We was going to fish a tournament together. And we always weighed fish. Was never, we never had a boat. He calls me and says, hey, man, you know that tournament this Saturday? I said, yeah. He said, I got a boat. I said, you got a boat? He said, yeah, man, I got a boat. I said, that's awesome. This is going to change the game. We were already great fishermen, you know, in the water. Wait till we get on the water. And so I said, I cannot wait, man. Where do you want to meet? He says, meet at 5 o'clock at Beach Drive. I said, I got you. I'll be there. I got off the phone with him, and I started thinking, there's not a boat launch on Beach Drive. How are we going to launch this boat? I'm thinking, oh, Dave's got it figured out. He's the man. I show up at 5 o'clock, and Dave drives this old hoopty minivan. I mean, just, it, it's stranger danger written all over it. And so out the back end of this boat or out, out the back end of this van, the hatch is open, hangs the world's smallest John boat. I got a picture of it. This is the actual John boat. 
That's what he was so excited about. I got a boat. And technically, by definition, that is a boat. But you have to understand something. Dave is about 6'3 and 330 pounds. I'm this, okay? <laughs> so we both get in this boat. I drag it out the back of the van, and we walk across the street and put it in the water, and we go fishing. He has the world's oldest trolling motor. I swear it is the prototype of what trolling motors were supposed to be. The engine on this is like this big, but the prop is like this big. I'm like, this is ridiculous, Dave. And we put this, everything gets connected, and we get on the water, and we start fishing, and we actually, and I didn't tell this in the first service, we actually won the tournament. And, and this is incredible because of what happens next. So we're fishing, and we're catching a few fish, and we're doing good. And all of a sudden, I hear this horrible racket going on behind me. And it's just this, and I turn around, and Dave had cut a two-liter bottle in half, and he's bailing water. And, and I have to give you some context. This boat, let's say this is the, the edge of the boat. I could lean my hand over and play in the water like this. We were that, <laughs> we, we were that close in the water. We almost had a submarine. We were just playing around. I could play around in the water like that. And, and, and I turn around, I see Dave bailing water out of this boat. And I said, Dave, are we going to be okay? He's like, yeah, man, no problem. Because Dave's, <laughs> Dave's always trying to keep it cool. About that time, another wave comes over the bow of the boat, and we sink. I mean, it goes, our tackle goes everywhere, and, and that boat just sinks like a rock. And the, the beautiful thing is, as it sinks, we just stand up. Because we're like in five foot of water. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't as traumatic as it could have been. Um, and... and and you have to understand where Beach Drive is. It's kind of like the redneck beach when you don't want to go to Panama City Beach. And so there's these guys on the shore drinking. And they're like, we are wondering when you're going to sink that thing. And we're like, appreciate you. So there was this moment. There was this moment. But as the waves are rocky and we're in this really not great boat and, and things just are against us, to be honest with you, I still felt safer in the boat than I would in the water. I'm just being honest with you. I, I, it, no matter what condition the boat is in, no matter how rough the waves are, I would still more. I would still feel safer in the boat than I would in the water. But then we see this interesting thing happen. See, Peter sees this ghost on the water, and this ghost responds and says, "No, it's me. Um, be of good cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid." In verse 28, Peter said and answered him and said, "Lord, if it be thou." Bid me come unto thee on the water. He's in a boat, in a storm, and he sees Jesus on the water, and he leaves the safety of the boat to get on the waves of the water to go out and meet Jesus. And we know what, we see what comes next. He's walking on the water, and it says that they saw the wind become boisterous, and he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And I used to think, in, in next, next verse 31, it says, little, O thou little faith, Wherefore didst thou doubt? And I always grew up believing, you know, that Jesus, or, or Peter was seeing Jesus, and he saw the winds and the waves, and all of a sudden he lost faith in Jesus, and he began to sink. And, the, and so Jesus questions his faith and says, why would you doubt? Why would you doubt? But I think I understand this differently now. I don't think Peter was doubting Jesus, because if you're on the water, and Jesus tells you to come on the water, and you're coming on the water, uh, and... and if, if Jesus starts sinking, I'm going to doubt him. I'm like, wait, what, what, what are you doing? Uh, if he starts going below the water, I'm going to lose faith in his ability. But is Jesus sinking? 
then why would he lose faith in him? What is happening? Who is Peter doubting? He's doubting himself. How can I be doing what you're doing? How is this possible? He starts seeing the, the, everything around him start getting chaotic, and he begins to doubt that I could be doing what you are doing. And this is what a storm will do to you. First of all, this was impossible for Peter to do on his own, but here's what it'll do. The storms will cause you to do the impossible. God will put you in a situation where you're, he's asking you to do something you've never done before, and you've got to trust that he can do it in you. You've got to believe that God is able and that he has chosen you. Don't doubt yourself. Don't doubt in your ability to do it because if God's doing it through you, you can do anything. And so he begins to walk on the water and he begins to question, can I really be doing this? And he begins to sink. Peter had doubt in himself. And so here's what else a storm can do. You ready for this? Storms of life can reveal your weakness. Storms of life can reveal your weakness. And for Peter, his weakness was the doubt he had in himself that he could do what Jesus had told him to do, that he could do what God has commanded him to do. He doubted that. And so if you're in a storm right now, maybe God's trying to reveal to you what your weakness is. If you keep going through the same storm, maybe you ain't figured it out yet. And maybe you need to pay a little bit more attention to the storm you're in and say, God, what are you trying to show me? What what weakness is there in me that you're trying to expose right now? I want to be better. I want to trust you. And sometimes storms will reveal your weaknesses in life and who you are and weaknesses in your character, weaknesses in your integrity, weaknesses in your ability. Those storms will reveal that to you if we just pay attention and watch. But now Peter gets back into the boat. And, and all the disciples, they gather around. In verse 33, it says they gather around Peter and they begin to console him begin to brush his face and say, Peter, that was embarrassing. Are you okay? Somebody get Peter a towel. He's wet. Some, some, he messed up. It was pretty bad. And Jesus called you Petros, which means rocking. You sank like one, Peter. And so uh, I understand this is very embarrassing for you. Pe- Jesus, can you just give us some time? Peter's, Peter's very, very, very scared right now. We need, to, we need to get him all dried up now. That's not what happened when they got back in the boat. What happened when they got back in the boat? Verse 33, then they that were in the ship came and what? Worshipped him. They worshipped him. (laughs) Is Peter even dry yet? He is soaking wet. He just sank. And now you find him at the feet of Jesus worshipping him. I don't see, I don't know if you get this or not, but there's going to be times in your storm where you mess up royally, where you just fail big time, and you are wet. And our tendency as believers, our tendency as Christians, is instead of running to the cross of Jesus, we run away from him because we're so ashamed, because we're embarrassed, because somehow we think God is angry at us. That somehow we feel like we've disappointed him and he doesn't want to see us right now. So I'm going to give God some distance. I'm going to give God some time. I'm going to wait for him to cool down. And then I'll come back to church. That's not how this works. Because have you done anything that has taken him by surprise? Not one bit. And so when you mess up royally, when you fail him big time in the storm, don't you worry about it. You didn't take him by surprise. We find here Peter at the feet of Jesus worshiping him. 
something else a storm will do is, is Jesus gets in the boat and the storms stop. This is what a storm will do. Because instantly they go what? They go worship him. When Jesus gets in your boat in the middle of a storm, you learn to worship him better. When Jesus gets in your boat and the storms stop, you see him in a totally new way and your worship is a whole lot stronger, isn't it? You start worshiping, you start celebrating what he has done, you start recognizing him for his ability, you start trusting him in the hard times because you're saying, God, I was hopeless, but then you got my boat and I see what you did. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. And so the storms will help you worship better. But we get so angry at the storm, don't we? I wish this storm would leave. No, God's trying to show you something in the storm. He's trying to reveal something in the storm. Don't force the storm away so quickly. Learn from it. Worship in it. Crave him more. The storm has a purpose. Sometimes a storm, it takes a storm to remind us that our God is able and that he is strong. But I want you to see something. This, to me, is the coolest part of all of this. Verse 34 through 36, we get to the last part. We see the wetness of the disciple. In verse 34, it says, And they were gone over, and they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about him and brought unto him all that were diseased. And besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touch as, as touch were made perfectly whole. So immediately after this crazy moment in Peter's life, he is soaking wet, he is drenched head from toe, he failed miserably in the middle of the storm, and now he's ministering to people. Has he even dried off yet? <laughs> I love this. I love this because what is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, I know you've messed up, but we got stuff to do. Hang on, Peter, get out, get out of the boat. Come on. You ain't got time to sit there and sulk. We got people to touch. We got people to minister to. We got people to help. You do, it ain't no time for you sitting around sulking about how you messed up. It's time to get busy. And he's like, well, hey, well, Jesus, you don't understand. I've messed up. Hey, listen, I already know he's going to do that. I got that. It's under the blood. Come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. And all of a sudden, we get into the distribution process of God's miracles again. We start ministering to other people. And here's the question I have for you today is how long are you going to sit around and sulk about the times you've messed up? How long are you going to sit around waiting to dry off? Because so many Christians, because we've messed up, we feel like we are useless to God. And we see here clearly, here's Peter who just messed up, and he's still wet. And now he's, sitting, he's standing side by side with Jesus, helping people. God has not given up on you because of your mistake. You are not useless to God because of the things you have done. He wants to use you. Even if you're wet, don't wait to dry off. Come to the cross. Amen. Say, God, I, I know I've messed up, but I know you want to use me. How do you want to use me? Help me be used by you. And this is what I love about temple. It's that temple is a place that you can come and worship wet. Amen. That you can walk through those doors and you can come find a seat anywhere in this auditorium. And you can come with all your baggage, but you're going to be loved on. And you're going to be accepted. And we're going to, we're going to preach the gospel. 
And this is a place where you can come and throw your hands up and worship the creator of the universe, even if you are soaking wet. You are allowed to be here this morning, and I'm glad you are here this morning. I'm sorry how other people have treated you. I'm sorry how other churches have treated you, but I hope you find a home here at Temple, because this is a place where you can find refuge, even in the chaos of life, where you can come and find hope, even when you found there was no hope anywhere else, because it's not about Temple. It's about the Jesus that we worship, and I want to invite you to come and meet my best friend. His name is Jesus. And he'll help you. Hey, guess what? He'll even bring a towel to help dry you off. Listen, today, 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 you have a great opportunity to quit crying about your mistakes and fall in love with Jesus all over again. <laughs> Proverbs 24 16 says, For a just man falleth seven times, but he riseth up again. Just men fall a seventh time, but he rises up again. Listen, O sleeper, it's time to rise up. It is time to get up. It is time to worship again. It is time to minister again. And we feel like we disqualified ourselves, but everything you have ever done is already under the blood, so quit whining about it and get busy. Let's get active. And if you're in this room today and you feel you've never known Jesus, you are lost, you don't know what it ha- means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to let you know there is nothing too hard for God. You have done nothing that has disqualified you from his mercy and from his grace. I want to show you, I want to invite you to come and know him in a personal way. This is a place that you can do that today. You can leave differently than the way you came in. I want to encourage you with this. I know it's kind of humorous at this point, but I think it drives a point home. Um, I have a picture of my little girl and my little boy. We'll show that real quick. That's my little girl. That's Addison. She's dressed as Supergirl. She came out in her costume. This is my little boy. My little boy is Carter. He's Iron Man. Why am I showing you that? Because I know when they come out of their rooms dressed like that, it's about to go down. We are about to play, all right? We're going to get some Nerf guns, and we're going we're gonna to shoot each other with them. My son's going to get a wiffle ball bat and hit Addison in the head, and she's going to cry, and then we'll get it all fixed up, and they're going to play again. But when they come dressed up like that out of their rooms, I know by the way they are dressed, it is playtime, and we are going to have some fun in the Hepsenstall house. Tracy gets on to me just as much as she does to kids, but we're going to have fun. But in Psalm 93, 1, it says that, he, that the Lord reigneth, that he clothes himself in majesty, that he clothes himself with strength. The Lord is clothed with strength. What does that mean? Our God and our Savior right now has put on his majesty, and he has on himself his strength. And what that tells me is that my God is ready and able to respond. He's come dressed for the occasion. He is ready to get active in your life. And so if you've ever doubted, hey, is God ready to, to receive me? Am I too far gone? Let me, let me tell you, he's already dressed for it. <laughs> he's already dressed to rescue you. He's already dressed to help you. He's got majesty and he's got strength. And he's already dressed to come and intercede in your life whatever way possible. Just because you're wet this morning doesn't mean you're disqualified. Just because you've messed up doesn't mean You're too far gone. But I want you to understand the importance of storms. Sometimes the storms are God's will for your life. 
Sometimes the storms of life will help give you the tools to minister to other people. Sometimes the storms of life will help you do the impossible. Sometimes the storms of life will reveal your weakness. And sometimes the storms of life will help you just worship God better because now he's in your boat. I I just want you, everybody, to uh, bow your head, close your eyes. This is kind of the end of the service. This is a time of response, and this is my challenge I'm throwing out there is this. Um, People in this room, no doubt, have been battling something, and you feel defeated. You feel wore out. That's natural. That's who we are. 